So it's a unique time because we are wrapping up this study of Hebrews, and it is very fitting, actually, that we had our, our prayer time this morning because it's going to fall right in line with kind of where we are um, and how we're going to wrap up and put a little bow on this, this whole journey that we've been on for the past 41 weeks. We have been studying, well, 41 weeks in terms of actual messages, but one year today in terms of when we launched the series. So a year ago today, we started this journey to the book of Hebrews, started in verse 1, chapter 1, and we have marched our way clean through it in 41 different messages all the way to get to this place where we're saying, <clears throat> at the very end, what is it that we've actually walked away with? And it's taken us a pretty deep dive. I mean, we've gone on some deep theological dives. <clears throat> we have talked about everything from the Old Testament move and redemptive history through the deep theology of the Old Covenant. We've talked about the importance of the practical things like why marriage matters to the Lord and how money plays a role in our trust and reliance on Christ. All of these things and everything in between we've paid attention to. And so we got to the end, and as we look back over the year, the question becomes, <clears throat> excuse me, what do we do with all of this, right? Like how do we just put a little bit of a, a summation or a bow on it? And so what we did was we took the past two weeks, last week and this week, and we've just kind of taken the daunting task of saying, what are some of the highlights, some of the, the pieces that we want to make sure we secure and hold on to that are high value and importance? And so last week we began that process by looking at things that we learned from Hebrews about our own relationships with Christ, the personal relationships with Christ that we have and what Hebrews has taught us. How to believe that, that Jesus is better than all things, right? Because Jesus is in fact God, and we explored that last week. How we're called to fight against the drifting, right? That drifting is very real, that we have to be proactive in pursuit of our relationship with Jesus, that it takes time and energy. And then we've got to press for maturity, maturity in Christ, like not becoming people that are just content on the small elementary things, but really pressing into wanting to know things like, What's the difference between good and evil, and how do I know the heartbeat of God? We explored those last week, things that we had looked at over the past year. And this morning, we're turning our attention to things that we've learned about Hebrews, about what it means to live, engage, and interact with when it comes to the community, when it comes to the church, because a lot of what Hebrews was written for was to encourage the church to live and stay in that community. Remember, they are being pressed on all sides to return to Judaism, to, to break away from Christianity and Christ, to return to the old way of life, the old covenant, the old family, the old Jewish tradition history, return to their families and give up on Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Give up on Jesus because that stuff is bankrupt. All right? Bankrupt. By the way, I've had COVID like four weeks ago, so we're good. Don't anybody panic. <coughs> I actually did. Um, to give up on that Jesus stuff and just walk away because it's, it's bankrupt, right? It's, it's, it's not better than what we had is essentially the call. And so they're facing this in pressure, and, and our author's writing this community saying, no, listen, not only is Jesus better, but Jesus is better because we're in this thing together as well. He wants you to rely and lean on and be involved in the lives of people. You cannot do this alone, and you were never created to do it alone, right? And that's important for us as followers of Christ to understand that we were created to live and be in community. That's how God created us. And God is a God of community. If you look at the idea of the Trinity as a whole anyway, God is a community God in terms of how we think and how we act. And we are called to deeply engage and rely on the community. It cannot be done alone. 
And so what we've learned from Hebrews are some really significant things that I think should matter to us because they matter to the Lord. Thank you, brother. Look at this, Jakey. Got a wellness team over here. I get back rubs when this is over and feet massages. <clears throat> when you're part of, when you lead a giant church like this, you get all the perks. <clears throat> you get to plunge the toilets and yell at when there's no donuts. When it's too hot. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate you. Um, so anyway, the idea is that this is what we've got to bank on is this, these true things that matter to the community. And so what we're going to be looking at today are what I've just basically pulled these. And we'll do them really quickly because we've covered them in depth before. But six things that we have got to hold on to when it comes to lessons that we've learned about the community. And if we pay attention to these six things, they will literally change the way that you think about church. And in turn, in turn they will change the way you think about even your own relationship with Christ. Because when we begin to let people in, we begin to understand that the spiritual movement of people around us matters. It'll change the way we see our own life. We're going to be in two places, Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 13. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and find those. 10, 24 is where we're going to be starting, and then we're going to be in Hebrews 13, 1. And we're going to look at six things, six lessons, if you will, that we've learned from the book of Hebrews over this past year about what, it, what matters to the Lord when it comes to the community of God. So let's take a moment, let's pray together, and then we will dive into this text. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place. Lord, we thank you that you are just a beautiful God, that you call us into community, that you draw us into community, that you have this incredible value for your people doing life together to worship you. And so, Lord, what matters to you should matter to us. And so, Lord, I pray that these things this morning would resonate with our heart. In a culture that is increasingly divided, the church should be the place of unification and unity and beauty. Not because we see eye to eye on everything, but because our singular God holds us all together. And so, Lord, I pray this morning you would make that abundantly clear. It doesn't matter what background you came from today or where you're from or what your story is or what denomination you want to proudly proclaim. The reality is, is that it's just all about Jesus. And so, Lord, while those things may matter in circles Ultimately, what matters is what we do with the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would knit us together in that way first and foremost and on all the peripheral things second. Take a moment in your own heart as you sit here this morning and just ask the Lord to prepare you to be taught or to teach you through his word. Just ask the Lord to teach your heart this morning. Whatever that means to you, whatever you need to say or however you need to get that out, just ask the Lord to teach you something. Maybe these are things you've heard if you've been coming over the past year Maybe here for the first time, just, just ask the Lord in your heart this morning just to teach you. Lord, teach my heart. Just whisper those things to the Lord this morning. Take a moment and pray for the people around you or behind you. We do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. So take a moment this morning and uh, pray for the person beside you. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. Maybe it's someone that you just saw or maybe it's your spouse. And just pray that God would move in them. Like care enough about the people around you to take a moment on a Sunday and pray for them.
Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. You are God and you are good and we trust you. Teach our hearts. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So we've covered a lot of these things in depth. So I'm going to brush through them pretty quickly because we've got six that I want to get to and that I want to touch on. And these are six kind of an overview of things that we've learned about from Hebrews about what it means to be literally doing life together in community and why it matters to the Lord and how we are called to interact with one another. And I, I wanted to do this because I think we've got such a broken view from a Western standpoint of what the church is and why the church exists. And Hebrews is a beautiful reminder that we've somehow along the way have broken our understanding of, of what the community of God should be and what it should look like. And so it's a great call and a great reminder. And so let's turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at the first three in verses 24 and 25, and then we'll move into 13 and look at the next three. <clears throat> but this is what we see in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Now, chapter 10 is in the middle of this call to persevere. He's basically telling them, look, you are going to face incredible, difficult things, incredibly difficult things. You're going to face them. You are living in a community right now that is being pulled and torn from all sides. Persecution is not only real, but persecution from your family is real. And so you have got to be at a place where these things matter to you. And so he says this, right? And let us consider how we may love, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. So the first thing that we see in these verses is this call to be good to one another. And he's addressing the community of believers and he's calling to be good to one another by doing something very specific. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now the idea of spurring is this idea of, of pushing or goading. This idea that you are called to, be, to push one another towards something very specific. Towards love and towards good deeds. So he's saying as part of the community, as part of follower, band of Christians, this gathering of Christ followers, one of the things that we are called to do is to be good to one another by goading, by spurring, by encouraging one another on towards love and good deeds. And I started thinking about this over this kind of exploration of Hebrews about <clears throat> what we goad each other towards, what we press each other towards, and how even some of my closest friends, we love to do things like debate theology. We love to argue about the nuances of Christianity. We love to debate which denomination is this or what is that or does this matter or does that matter. But very seldom are we engaging, even with my closest friends, into the deep spurring on towards love and good deeds. But the Christian community has actually moved to be able to be a windfall or a wind source of encouragement. To be a place where you go to feel like people are filling your sails. Like literally, I am being filled up by the people around me to go and love the world. To do beautiful and wonderful things because I am being encouraged by my church, by my people, by my community towards love and good deeds. And this becomes the call of the church. That we are called to be people of deep and real encouragement. But oftentimes we're not, right? We like to be balloon 
poppers. Like literally, most of us live for that little moment where we get to bring a little bit of realism or real life into someone's giant dreams. And if you've been married, you know exactly what this is, right? So your spouse comes in and they're super excited about something or, or whatever it is and they're, they're over the top about this idea or this thing and your response, you know exactly how to burst that. And we do it with a single word. You're not gonna believe what happened, da, da, da. and then our word's like, oh, I already knew that. Or, no, that's not really what happened. Did you watch the news? Or any of those phrases above that just seem to slightly burst that movement. I mean, I know how to break my wife's heart with simple a word. And I do it is what's so tragic. And I don't even know why at times. I think it's because there's that part of us that wants people to know that we already know or wants people to know that we may have that tiny little bit more knowledge. So we're story trumpers, right? And not in terms of president word, but just trumping your story. Like when you roll in and you're like, you're not gonna believe it. I met, I met the mayor, he was sitting across from me. He's like, oh, I grew up with the governor. You're like, oh, great, right? I walked on the moon or whatever. You know, like we just are a people that wanna present ourselves first. And we do this all the time. Instead of just sitting there and celebrating the thinking fact that your neighbor met the mayor, oh my gosh, it's incredible, it's unbelievable, it's so great. Or just be an encouragement to people that says, I know you're feeling beat up, but man, you are awesome. And you are doing great things and you are an encouragement to me. We have people in this church that are so good at this. Brandon will tell you, he'll attest to it also. We'll get a random text or random notes or random things all the time. People are just like, look, I know you don't hear it much or maybe you do, but this matters to me and you matter to me. And it's such a win for the heart because it's a beating living life. It's hard, man. Not just for us or for me, for every one of us. It is a beating it's a beating having teenagers. It's a beating having young kids. It's a beating not sleeping. It's a beating having a tough job. Life is a beating. It's hard. It's hard. It's beautiful, but it's hard. And when you have people in your life that are beautifully encouraging, encouraging you on towards love and good deeds. So I ask you this. Are you that to other people? When's the last time you wrote someone a note? Not happy birthday on their Facebook Well, That's dumb, right? Like, like real things. Real things. Wrote them a note. Sent them a letter. They still have those. Send them a letter. I was in the paper a year or two ago, some story or something, I can't even remember. And somebody cut it out and they wrote a handwritten note on it and mailed it to me. First of all, the fact they got the paper is incredible, right? Like, but nonetheless, they mailed it to me and I thought, this dude who I don't know all that well, but I do know him well, took time to see that, cut it out, write a note how he was encouraged by me and mail it to me. It meant the world to me. This is, and it's not coming from someone who's necessarily in my believer circle. This is how much that stuff matters, that we are called to be spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Are you an encourager of the people around you? Would your spouse go to you as the per, first person that would fill their sails with wind? Are they the person, you the, you the person they would go to when they needed someone to, to press them forward with beauty? Were they hesitant to tell you things? What about the people in your life, right? Are you spurring them on towards love and good deeds? That's the place the church exists to be. So he says, listen, love one another, be good to one another. Don't be deflators of each other, right? It's important. These are small things, but they're important. So he says, he says listen, the first thing we're going to learn is be good to one another. Don't always worry about being right. 
right? Who cares? Half the time, it doesn't matter. The other half of the time, it can matter later, right? So don't let us, let us consider, right? Consider how we promote and promise and push each other towards love and good deeds. Spur one another on. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So first thing we learn, right? Let's be good to another. Second thing is don't give up the habit of meeting together, which tells us a couple of things. One, even in those days, 2,000 years ago, people have already figured out ways to figure out how we cannot have to do this all the time. They've already figured out the idea that this is not always super easy to gather together as community. And church looked a lot different in those days, but they were already finding ways to say, you know what, I've kind of made a habit of it. I'm just, I'm really not into it. You guys meet and I'll catch up with you later. It was already happening. And so what our author is, is warning these believers against is to not give up the habit of meeting together. Because there's gonna be a thousand reasons why it's easier not to gather a thousand reasons why. And we can use the pandemic as one of those excuses, but it's been happening for centuries before that. And remember, the end-all, be-all of the Christian life is not that you show up to church, period. But it's a high value point, and we're going to see why in just a moment. But it's a high value point to the Lord. It's a high value point to the community. So don't give up the habit of meeting together as some have already done. Now, why is the Sunday gathering or the meeting together, if you will, why is that important? Whether it's a Saturday night or wherever your gathering meets or whatever, but why is that a high value? Well, the first reason is this, is because we gather together on a Sunday morning to worship and honor and glorify the Lord, period. Not about your convenience or your things or what's going on with you, but the first reason that we gather on a Sunday morning is for the worship and glory of the Lord. The second reason we gather on Sunday morning and should gather on Sunday morning is for the encouragement and edification of other believers. Now, we know that because our text tells us that. So let's not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the, and some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. In other words, these gatherings are not there, right, for you. I say this every single Sunday. <clears throat> Everything that unfolds on a Sunday morning is not about you. We are actually called to be here to worship and glorify the Lord and two, to edify and encourage the other people and then you exist somewhere past that. The call of the community, if it is to love one another and spur one another on towards love and good deeds, to not give up the habit of meeting together but to encourage one another means that you are actually here to be used by the Lord in the lives of other people. Not to be entertained. Not to see what's just here for your kids or not to just see what we have to offer in terms of single moms groups or divorce care or Sunday school or whatever it is. Like, what do you have to offer me? If we really look at these, the community comes first. It comes before you. Jesus is always first, right? His worship and his glory. But then it's for the edification, the encouragement of believers, which what you say, how do you do that? Well, here's how you do it. When you show up on a Sunday, the first thing you should be praying for is, Lord, be glorified in me. And two, Lord, how do you want to use me to encourage somebody else today? If you've made that your mindset coming into this place, it would change the church and it would change you. It would, I promise you. That if you begin to ask the Lord to give you eyes to see the hurts or the needs or the struggles or the fears or the celebrations in the people around you, to invite someone to sit with you to listen to their story, to just tell them you love them, to put your arms around them, or just say, hey, look, 
I love seeing you. When I see you and your family come in, it just makes my heart happy. Like the encouragement you can be, because we have no idea, really, truthfully, unless someone tells you what everybody else is dealing with. But I can tell you this, it's not all easy. Life is hard, man. It's a beating. And people are walking here in here every Sunday with things in life that are beating them down. And you have the opportunity as a follower of Christ to be a beautiful encouragement to somebody else. And he says, the reason we're falling out of habit of meeting together is because we've made it about us. It's really easy to get out of habit when all you're thinking about is you. Because there are a thousand different ways that it's more convenient. Right? And we're not making it any easier to get here on Sunday mornings. I mean, we've created these giant online movements where I can attend church online. And here's, hear, my, hear me say this. Well, I'll just say it, I'll say it this way. If you're attending online church and online worship out of convenience, at best, you're misguided, and at worst, you're deliberately sinful. It's just the reality. Now, podcasts and online worship aren't bad. They're great tools for our growth and maturity in Christ, but they are not a substitute for the community, period. They're supplements. They're beautiful supplements. When you're sick, when you're at home, when you can't get here, when there's things that need to be filling your soul during the week, like all those things are beautiful supplements for your walk with Christ, but they are not substitutions for the community. And I have friends, two of them in particular, that I love and think about dearly. One lives in New York, and he tells me, I go to a church online. And I say, how does that work? He says, I actually get up every Sunday morning. I turn it on. I worship. I sing. I listen. I feel encouraged. And I go about my day. And I said, that's awesome. But you're not going to church, and you're not a part of a community. Because the very word ecclesia means the gathering, the assembly. That's the Greek word. Ecclesia. And when you gather as part of the assembly, your hearts begin to mesh, first and foremost, for the glory of Christ, and two, because you're there for the edification of other people. When we attend church solely online, or that's our, our sole place of spiritual connection, everything is just about you, and it's literally sinful if that's our whole movement of community. So hear me say this again. Don't be like, oh my gosh, Trev hates the internet or whatever. I actually kind of do in a lot of ways. Let's take that. But nonetheless, um, the idea is simple. Sunday morning or gathering or even your life group, like it doesn't have to be about you and it shouldn't be about you. So community, right? Like be good to one another. Don't give up the habit of meeting together. When it becomes easy to not be here, fight that like crazy. Sacrifice for it. Yeah, it's hard sacrifice for it because Christ matters and other people matter to him and they should matter to us, right? And then he says, <clears throat> we do that so that we may encourage one another and even all the more as we see the day approaching. So we, we do this thing on Sunday or our gathering, our community, because we're called to encourage one another and we need to be doing it more and more frequently and more consistently as the day is approaching. What day? The return of Christ. So here's what I will tell you. Jesus is coming back. We can talk eschatology all day long, but we're not going to. So eschatology is the kind of the study of the end times. So, but here's what we're going to talk about. Jesus is coming back. And two, that day is closer today than it was yesterday. 
right? So we can take all of our eschatology and you can talk about pre-trib and post-trib and all those kind of things and we're gonna boil it down to these two truths. Jesus is returning, that day is closer than it was yesterday. Therefore, the day is approaching. So what should we be doing as a community? We should be meeting more regularly and more consistently because we are getting closer to the return of Christ. Is that what's happening in the church today? I will answer for you, it is no. We are meeting less frequently, with less urgency, and less consistently, and the day is actually approaching when we should be gathering more frequently and more consistently. The enemy is going to do everything he can to divert us from the truth of Scripture. And the truth tells us that we should be gathering more. The enemy is going to do everything he can to have us gather less. So we've got to fight that at all costs. If you're finding yourself here once a month, ask yourself why. If we're getting closer to Christ's return and the call of the Bible is to gather together more frequently for the glory of Christ and the edification of each other, why am I only here once a month? And again, our goal is not that you're here so we can be like, hey, look, we topped 120 people. It's been 10 years we got 120 people. Slowest growing church in America. We're okay with that. Like we want to grow depth and, and disciple making, all those kind of things. So we're, we're not trying to do this so we can be like, man, we can't wait to have multiple services. It's going to be unbelievable. Campuses everywhere. Not us. There's a lot of places for that. It's great. Not here. What we're trying to do is invest in your deep spiritual growth. We want you to fall in love with God's word, have a relationship with him that matters, and care so deeply about the people around you that you don't want to miss church because you're going to miss seeing somebody. You're going to miss having the opportunity to whisper truth to their lives. You're going to miss having the opportunity to wrap your arms around Shane Jackson's neck and say, brother, we love you. I'm so sorry you lost your dad. Right? I want to be here because I want to be a part of that. Not because I'm afraid I'm going to miss something that, that Treb said or this or that, but because I get to be part of a community that matters and I can matter to somebody else. So we're called to be good to one another, right? We're called to not get out of the habit of meeting together, but fight that urge. And we're called to do it more frequently and more consistently because Christ is coming back. And if those aren't things that are echoing in your mind, ask yourself why. All right, very quickly, let's jump to the next three. That's the first three. Hebrews 13. <coughs> These should be pretty fresh on our mind. We literally just went through them like a month and a half ago, or at least a few of them, much in depth. We're going to skim them today because we're running low on time. But Hebrews 13 is that final chapter in which our author is giving these final instructions saying, listen, I've got a few things I need you to hang on to, and here they are. And this is what he says in Hebrews 1 through 3. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, many people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison, as if you, were there, as if you yourself were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So we've got this idea of being good together. We've got this idea of not giving up the habit of being together. We have this idea of we've got to meet more frequently and, and more consistently because Christ is coming back, and that's the call that we have to ready ourselves and push to maturity and encourage the people around us. So how do we begin to do that? How is that possible? Well, he tells us in these three verses. He says it's going to look like this. The first one is you've got to love like family. So he says this. He says, listen, keep on loving each other as brothers. Love like family. And family is not easy. Not easy. Every single one of you, including myself, can attest that a family is hard. Extended family is hard. Immediate family is hard, but we're called to love with this deep commitment 
of family. Now, for a lot of us, maybe you've got a pretty good broken definition of family, but at least you know this, or at least you feel this probably. Somewhere in there, in your mix of a mess with mom and dad and brothers and siblings or whatever, if one of them called you out of the blue, no matter how fractured that relationship is, your heart would be torn to at least walk alongside them, right? And that's in the worst situation. Because when it comes to family, we are called to love intentionally and unconditionally, as hard as that is. As hard as that is. That's what it means to love like family. It's this beautiful idea of phileo love, this familial, this family, this love that looks beyond just what you've given me and says that we are actually connected because of something much deeper. And we're connected because of our blood or because of our parents or because of what we've walked through, right? So I have a brother. He's a few years younger than me. He's a great guy. We've not always seen eye to eye on everything. We fought like crazy, but I would do anything for him, his family as well, right? Anything, anything. We have walked through deep tragedy together. We suffered as young men when our father died. We closed out of business. We watched my mom kind of wrestle with the idea of being a widow for years and years. I've watched him go ups and downs in his life, difficulties to the brink of almost losing a child. There's not a thing I wouldn't do, no matter how frustrated he makes me, that if he just said, I need you, I wouldn't drop everything in the universe and go. And that's not everybody's definition, but that's the call, right? Like, to love like family. And Jesus gives us what that looks like. He actually tells us, I use this example all the time, but he, he tells his disciples that. On the very night that he was betrayed, right? He's gathered them together. He's scrubbed their feet. He's removed his outer garments. He's literally washed their feet. And he looks at them all and he says, listen, a new command I'm giving all of you. Because he knows he's getting ready to be, to be arrested and put on a sham of a trial, crucified and killed. And so he says, a new command I'm giving you guys, y'all, to live this out. Love one another as I've loved you. And he just showed them what that looked like. He, God of the universe, scrubbed the garbage from between their toes. And he even washed the feet of Judas, who was sitting right there at the time and yet to leave. He says, love one another as I have loved you. This is what that looks like. By this way, this way you love one another, all men will know you're my disciples. Love it. They know that these men are followers of Christ, not because they carry a banner, not because they get on social media and make a bunch of proclamations about what their social or moral soapbox is for the day, but because they love like Jesus. They loved each other that way sacrificially and intentionally, and it looked so different to the world. The world would look at and be like, how do these guys love each other? And it's not just loving the world, it's loving each other that way. This ragtag group of people from every different walk of life, from the fisherman to the tax collector, that should not get along at all, and oftentimes didn't. Yet they were going to love in a way that was going to be so different that the world would say, they must follow Jesus. Like when people see the church, that should be what comes out of their mouth is these people are so different in the way they interact with one another. There's no vitriol, no hatred, no anger. They love each other very differently even though they're all so stinking different. It's almost like a family, right? Different ideas, different voting habits, different stuff, but man, love each other like crazy, like they matter to each other. That's what it means to love like family. Right, So keep on loving each other as brothers. You don't have to see eye to eye. You don't have to like everything the other person or other family does to love them well. It's never a prerequisite. 
right? I don't love everything my family does, period. In fact, I'm disappointed in a lot of things they do, and I'm sure they are in me. But we love his family. So we keep on loving his family, right? The second thing there, I guess the fifth thing would be that we are literally called then to do not forget to entertain strangers, right? For some have entertained angels without being aware of it, which is a reference that could be a lot of different things. Could be could be uh, Manoah and Judges, or it could be a reference in Abraham, or it could be a reference to even the, the guys on the road to Emmaus when they were walking, and they literally were walking with Jesus, and they were kept from recognizing him. The idea is they're called to practice biblical hospitality because we have no idea who God may be bringing into our life at any given moment. So if you're going to love his community, you've got to be willing to open your lives to entertaining people that you don't always know or don't always spend your circled time with. He actually says this phrase, entertain strangers. And that Greek word there for strangers, as I said a few weeks ago, is fascinating because it actually translates as strangers, like literally. So entertain strangers means entertain strangers, which means that we are called to not just circle our collective community wagons, get our life tube together, hitch our belts together, and not let anybody in. The community is not called to be a, <clears throat> a shelter, if you will. It's not called to be just a safe haven. It's called to be a place where we welcome people because we never know who God's bringing in. And I can tell you story after story after story of people that have driven by on a Sunday, thought, you know what, I should probably go. It's been a long time. I've never been to church. There's one right in my neighborhood. Pull in the parking lot and drive away. Same thing happens next week. They decide they're going to go. They get dressed this time as opposed to just driving by. They actually pull in the parking lot, and they sit out there in the the parking lot looking at the windows and thinking, I don't know anybody here, and they drive away and leave. Third Sunday comes, and this time they're going to go for it, right? And they get here really early, and there's nobody here. And so they think maybe they close today. These are true stories. And so they're like, it's 1020, and there's not a soul here. This place is either terrible or I did the wrong time, and they leave again. Fourth Sunday comes around. They finally muster up enough energy to come into the door. After four weeks of trying, right, they walk in the door. And everything in the universe hinges on how we're going to respond and treat and interact with that person. Why? Because God has been gearing up their hearts for a month to do what is the absolutely easiest and most convenient thing for you, which is to walk through those doors. But for them, it was a moment of great courage great courage. And how we interact with that stranger demonstrates how we love his community, right? And if everything's about you and you circling your little group of eight people that you always hang around with and making sure you don't engage with strangers, you take that act of courage and you say, it's not a big enough act for me today. I'm here for me. Also means for our home. And I can give you a thousand reasons why you don't want to invite strangers into your home. So don't, kids, don't get in cars with people. Like, that's not the, the message here, right? But if we're called to entertain strangers, then it also means in our, in our personal lives. Do you know your neighbors? Have you invited them over? Is your home a place that you see as a gift from the Lord that you are called to open the doors to and use as a tool? Or is it a castle, a fortress? Is it a place where no one's allowed? If it is, ask yourself Why? If everything in our life is a gift from the Lord, like literally we believe that, that our homes, no matter how big or small they are, are tools for the Lord to use. So invite people into your world. Entertain strangers. You have no idea what God may be doing. Be bold, right? 
And then finally, the last thing. So love like family, entertain strangers, know we're out of time. Last thing is this, love the marginalized. Look at that verse. Remember those who are in prison as if you are their fellow prisoners. Remember those who are being mistreated or suffering as if you are suffering alongside them. Part of being the community is literally mourning and caring about the people on the fringes, on the margins, to care about people that are, that are struggling and hurting. And I'm not just talking about the people that may be in this room, and there are plenty of them. But we are called to love those on the fringes in culture, to fight for those that can't fight for themselves, to be moved by the oppression of people around the world, to not just throw our prayers, but to support people that are actively engaged in mission or to go or to have a global heart or to have a heart for the guys under the bridge on 23rd, or to have a heart for that single mom that keeps coming into work every day that you sit a cubicle away from, that just seems to have no support. The margins can be defined as a lot of things in our life. But essentially what they mean is the things on the fringes. And we are called to love those things on the fringes. And we're called to remember those who are in prison as if I was imprisoned with them and suffer with those as if I was suffering for them. And this isn't a pity thing. It's not like, oh, I'm sad that you're homeless. It's more like I have a deep empathy because I want to imagine and love you well enough to go, what would it be like if I was suffering with you? Because when we do that, it breaks down a lot of our arrogant banners those things that we wave around and we carry that say, I'm sort of better than you. We do it politically all the time. We do it socially a lot too, right? Because there's a difference in wanting to feed someone and wanting to eat with someone. That's the banner, right? I'm happy to hand you a sandwich, but when you sit down with someone and you tear yours in half and you say, what's your name? That love looks very, very different. There's a thousand ways to practice this. won't get into them today. But the idea is just this. Love the marginalized. Put yourself there. Create empathy in your heart. Shred your humility. Like just tear it to pieces and find yourself in a place that just echoes with people. Right? Echoes with people. Be kind. Be really kind. So if we look at these things as a whole, there's a thousand more in Hebrews. But we really look at these things that we've, we've learned and we've broken down. There's these really deep calls just to be good to one another. To not give up the habit of gathering or meeting together. But, but do it even more as we see the day approaching, right? Like be encouraging in that way. To love like family. Like real, deep, true family. Like love that way that is so moving right? To be at a place where we're loving the marginalized. Like these things deeply, deeply matter. And they're who we're called to be as a community. So as we bring all of Hebrews to a close, right? And we move on to other wonderful things in the future. What I want us to be anchored to is this idea that Jesus is better. He is God. Guard your relationship with him. Fight for it so that you don't slide backwards. There's easy ways to slide away from the Lord, and we don't do it on purpose. Drifting, remember, as we talked about last week, is often passive. So get active. Get in the word. Pray. Fight for deeper maturity. Decide that Sunday mornings are actually going to be about the Lord first and other people. That you want to go, God, I want to be there because I want to worship you with my friends, my community, my partners. And I want to be an encouragement to somebody else that we're coming. I want to love them like family in that way. I want to be encouragement to them. I want to fight for those on the fringes. I want to care about people in that way. Like, I want to love 
in a way that you love me. And with that, we take those truths, learn from Hebrews, we will flip the idea of church completely upside down. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this beautiful picture called community. It is imperfect in all of its ways, but it is also so beautifully perfect in the way that you've made it. And so, God, I pray that it would matter to us, and I pray that it would matter to this community deeply. So, Lord, as we close our time in worship, what I pray for is that these things would be things that resonate with us. They would be things that we want to be a part of. They would be a community that we're drawn to. Lord, that we might be moved by the things that move you. But ultimately, above everything, Lord, be glorified. Be exalted. You have given us your son, Jesus, that if we surrender our hearts and lives to him, we have the promise of eternal life here today and that eternal life that continues forever. It's the beauty of following Christ, full abundant life. And we are called to live that out together with beauty and humility and grace. So Lord, make us a community that loves like you. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning. Screw.
Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. So we encourage you to make sure you're here next week. Join us for Adult and Teen Challenges. They're here telling stories of recovery. Stick around. Join us for lunch. Bring your friends and neighbors and all that. It'll be a great time for us as a community to practice a lot of the things that we talked about today. The idea is that we're called to be good to one another, to not give up the habit of meeting together, to encourage one another, to love like family, right? To, to care deeply for those on the margins and to engage in true and real and deep biblical hospitality. That's what it means to be the community of God. He gets first and foremost our honor, his honor, our worship, his glory, and then we're called to love each other in that dramatic way. But take those truths, apply them to your life, and let Hebrews be a launching pad for what comes next. Go in peace.